Game Boys. Hey there, Internet. Welcome back to another episode of the Game Boys podcast. My name is Lux. I'm your host. And with me, as always, he is Red Dead redeeming himself. It's Griffin Davis. Nice. Uh, yes, let's talk about that. Um, okay, I've given a lot of premature ratings for this game, and I've gone through another change of heart. You know, last <laughs> episode, uh, as you remember, Lux, I, I did a rating update, yeah. and, and, I, and I ranked it, uh, I gave, I took 0.5 points away. But there was a major turn in the game, and I'm very into the second half of this story, and I'm really into this ending, and I, I, I feel like I'm... Uh, I feel like I'm like 15 minutes away from finishing it, and there's like another part after that. Um, but I'm very close, so I'm just gonna hold off my rating entirely. I'm I'm annulling all past ratings. So we're just know, gonna have an, an, an N slash A in that category for now. There's gonna be a big finale rating, uh, yeah, for me because I've realized that it was foolish to to predict this game because it's got surprise slugs. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how this turns out because. Your social media presence has very much given me the sense that you are done with this game and over it, which is not what you're saying to me now on the podcast. Um, well, not only that, but um, Red Dead Online becomes available for you and me to start playing uh, on Wednesday, the day actually this is coming out. So perhaps we'll have a little bit more about talk about that next week once we've played it together. Yeah, totally. We can do some streamage, maybe. Very excited about that. Some but Lux, what have streamage. you been playing this week? Tell me, please. I'll tell you. It's still Pokemon. Yes. Which I also just bought an hour before we started. Nice. And you got Eevee so we can start trading? Oh, I got Eevee. Oh, hell yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. It's super fun. I'm really enjoying it. I just finished the Elite Four. Nice. Yeah, my team was fucking fire. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was rolling. What was in, the, in the easiest game ever made. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I was rolling with like a Pikachu, Charizard, Blastoise, Kadabra. Articuno and Sandslash. Ooh, I love a Kadabra. Now, I just got it an hour ago, so I've only played the first, like, ten minutes, but I think it already got me. Just, like, when it opens up to, like, your bedroom and shows you just, like, that it's gonna be 3D and look like that, and you, like, step out to the first town. And you have a Nintendo like, Switch in your room. Yeah. Oh, okay. I want to talk about that. Uh, it starts with this very meta moment where, like, it's like, let's start your adventure, and, like, everything gets bright, and then it, it, like, fades in on you standing with your face, like, inches from the TV, like, with your hands shaking, <laughs> and a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> Which is very funny. Really good. Um... Like, yeah, did, did, you do any, did you do any Pokemon catching at all? Uh, yes, I've caught I've caught several. Oh, what do you think about the new style? I actually um, think it actually could be interesting, and there, here's why. Uh, I think it actually encourages this ethos of gotta catch them all, you know, because you just like are catching all the time now, you know, throwing balls. I can I can see myself just catching everything I see, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So I, th I think I think if, I think right now I'm happy with it. We'll see. We'll see as it goes on if it becomes annoying. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm I'm, I'm pretty with that. I, it's, it's actually kind of grown on me as the game's gone on. Mm -hmm. um, as you get to Pokemon, they're a little harder to catch. It becomes more fun, a more fun mechanic. Right, um, which I'm into, and I like, I like that it's it grows into it a little bit, which was fun, more fun for me the whole time. But it gets pretty fun by the end, which is nice. Um, but it looks so good, and that's just so like good. that combined with a nostalgia is just like mm mm mm. Right, like I'm you, into that. Like you get that thing I was saying last week, uh, where I mentioned like it's cool because it's seeing like Pokemon the way you imagined it from like playing on the Game Boy. Yeah, just even just like that initial little path of water that exists in your hometown that like you eventually access later is just like so iconic in my brain. And then now just seeing it like all like sloshy and like 3D is just like trippy. Right, because like your brain had to do so much of that cool <laughs> like work to make it look cool as a kid. Mm -hmm. And now it's just like looks cool. Yeah, because the, the those Pokemon games are imprinted in my brain like a song is like an old song that you can just like remember again. You know those like little spots. So I, I'm 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 excited for all those like little nostalgia bursts uh, to happen across the game. There are so many and a lot of cool <laughs> and like cool new stuff too. So it's like a nice combo. Yeah, so that's sweet. And last but not least. Uh, I finished uh, Deltarune, uh, which is the sequel to Undertale. Now, it's just this chapter one, I guess, they've released right now, yeah. but it is very good. Yeah, Lux. it's uh, extremely good. I've played almost you, all of it. It is you played fucking also, okay. great. 
it's very cool. It just really seems like it's like taking the concepts of of Undertale and like, I don't know, creating maybe something that's even more nuanced and interesting. It has this like big party element to it now. Uh, and I'm just I'm dying for the rest of this game. <laughs> yeah, well, it's cool because Undertale, Undertale is great because it was like a really like singular story about like a really focused like one character doing stuff. Um, and Deltarune feels a little bit bigger and more ambitious. Yes. Which is extremely exciting um, to see. Uh, but I think that we should probably introduce our guest because we've been talking about all these games. And I know that he's sitting right there ready to jump on in, Griffin. So why don't you take it away? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's get him to di- dive on in here into the into the, into the the deep end, as Lady Gaga says. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're in the shallow end, but you're about to be in the deep end of the Game Boys podcast. Welcome, uh, funny comedian Michael Chabukas hey to guys. the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. It is going incredible, Michael. Michael, how the hell are you? I am doing good. Uh, recently came back from a long trip away from home, uh, catching up on video games, uh, made some hasty downloads recently. Ooh, what's a hasty download? Well, I'm finding out that Fallout isn't, uh, oh. Fallout 76 isn't everything. That oh, dear. Oh, yeah. Fallout 76 has been a... a- paragon of disappointment to so many of my friends it is really throwing me into the deep end uh it's kind of a ghost town (laughs) um yeah it's i mean i'm a huge fan of the fallout series so i'll kind of gobble up anything that they put out but this one is a bit of a struggle right uh and i want to hear more about this struggle you know you first you mentioned ghost town uh and and i've heard that uh actually they like purposely don't populate the each server that much and there's only like a few players actually in each world yeah i've only run into one player i i haven't played it for very long but Mm -hmm. there was one guy ran by in power armor when i was like trying to figure out my machete and like playing a random banjo and worrying about my there's now hunger and thirst meters which i'm not i'm not sure how to feel about yet because i tried that in metal gear survive which is a bonkers game uh where your character's metabolism is just like absurd and and any game that's trying to make me think about like that i have to eat and drink is just too much. It's so yeah, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Fucking annoying. It's the worst. I, I feel like does that kind of with those meters, but not in a super intrusive way. Yeah, I feel like Fallout Four struck a nice balance with the survival and like I don't know, you had to worry about like addictions and stuff, but that was it. Like the challenge level was just fine. And I feel like you should be able to kinda sit in an online game, sort of spend your time with it. As people tend to, but... So why does this game suck? Why is it difficult? Um, you know, it, it's kind of like the game we'll be talking about today in that it kind of just tosses you in with uh, very little aid. Well, how dare you put these two games in similar pools? Yeah, no, they're not. They're not <laughs> at all similar. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, not very new player friendly sure um, it's not it's not smooth it's not player intuitive i've my, my main things i've heard is just it's glitchy it's buggy and it feels like a, a like a beta that they're selling as like a full game yeah i can definitely see that uh i paid full price for it <laughs> and now like literally on black friday it was like 30 dollars. i think yeah <laughs> um, of course it was like I, I i hate that shit everyone's doing this early access and you pay the whole price for it and they just never finish the fucking game it's terrible but uh, i also got red dead redemption too i haven't quite uh gotten into it yet because every time i start it up it feels like it wants me to like cancel all my plans and light candles and like <laughs> make sure that I have nothing going on for like several days. Um, but I obviously definitely need to just give it a chance because I have that sometimes with games. I have especially like big cinematic ones. It just takes me a few. I just need to take a big bite out of it in the beginning in order to really get it going. I'd say give it a chance. I think the character of Arthur Morgan, the protagonist, seems a little bland at first, but actually is a very interesting character that you grow to care for over time. Oh, yeah, Uh, I'm sure. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Rockstar Games. I was a big fan of uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 and 5. But, you know, and speaking enough about present games, let's take it back for a second to, to your past, Michael. Now, have you always been playing video games? Or like when, when, when did video games hit 
your life? Oh, man. Video games hit my life when I was two years old. I beat the first level of Super Mario Brothers, and my parents... When you were two years old? Was that even a thing? Yeah. I was two years old, and that's when my parents... He's like, oh, maybe he should learn to walk first, not beat Super Mario. Yeah. At first, first my parents were proud and, like, put it on the calendar, but then my obsession continued, so... I uh, they sort of cut me off from I I could only play uh, Game Gear and on the Game Gear I was only allowed to play sports games and Pac-Man because those were the only games that like weren't fun enough for me to get properly addicted to them. Uh, Then I moved on to like LucasArts games on PC like Dark Forces and the Jedi Knight series. Stuff like that. So it's been it's been since 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 day one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Also, I think it's smart of your parents actually if they have a kid who games too much to make them play on Game Gear only because that thing <laughs> has like the like a twenty three minute battery life. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's that's they they told me that anything other than a sports game or Pac Man would break the Game Gear if I played it too much. There were some sad kids in dying wait, from wait, school. Wait, 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 Griffin. Hold wait. on. I want to talk about Michael's parents gaslighting him. What the <laughs> fuck was that? Yeah. They told me that. Any Anything that wasn't a sports game or Pac-Man would break the game gear. So like oh, I would well. <laughs> I would spend like a long time literally playing catch on the game gear between the catcher and the pitcher. I would like throw the ball back and forth and that would be my video game entertainment. Just like pressing the A button over and over again. Um, until I got older and then I got into on N64, I was really into Zelda games. I was really into the WWF games back when it was WWF, yeah. like WrestleMania 2000, and No Mercy is No Mercy the, the best. No, no Mercy is truly the crown jewel of like all wrestling games of all time. Pokemon, obviously, uh, stuff on Game Boy Color. Like I played Game and Watch Gallery. I played like a lot of Link's Awakening. All right, I have a quick question. So like. During the period when your parents had convinced you that the Game Gear couldn't accept games that were fun, like, what made you want to keep playing video games while you were playing nothing but boring games? You know what I mean? Oh, I was just, I think I knew that there was, like, more out there. I was, like, I was just obsessed. Like, the whole concept of a game. Like I said, I was, like, playing catch on the on the baseball game I had. Like, just any sort of electronic entertainment uh, plus, PC gaming like wasn't bad at all. Like I, I, I liked console gaming more because I was a little kid and I liked sitting in front of the TV. But I got to play enough like Star Wars games on the PC where my interest was still kept. Well, this okay. isn't exactly like the same situation, but uh, uh, I got a Game Boy. It was a green Game Boy Color as my first Game Boy ever. And then my grandpa was in charge of like buying the game or whatever. And so they, they were they told him to buy the Pokemon game. But he bought me a Pokemon Pinball, which is just like a pinball Game Boy game. It's still addictive. The Catching the Pokemon was still addictive. It was still addictive, but it was not the Pokemon game. And But I made do with that. Yeah. pinball game for like a good six months to a year before getting the actual Pokemon game. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just wild. I, mean, I guess the PC thing kind of explains it because I was imagining that you were just like, we're playing this catch game on the Game Gear every day and in your head just being like, I love video games, man. These yeah. are amazing. <laughs> it's like, that's crazy to me. But if, yeah, if you're playing other stuff and sort of waiting out your parents having weird rules, that makes a lot more sense. Was there any kind of game that like truly like took over your life in like a major way and like made like you're like oh like i really love video games because like i just spent 200 hours playing whatever i think it was a uh, star wars dark forces 2 jedi knight which was like what, the which fir- is first of all what a title yeah, yeah it's, it's a like long title two, was there two colons in there yeah, yeah there were there were two colons <laughs> yeah, um, too many it was colons. like the first it was like one of those good old games where the cutscenes were like really badly filmed live action stuff and uh, it was like basically the first Star Wars game that lets you have a lightsaber. So I was pretty into that. Mm, yeah. Um, I would just spend hours just like once I beat the game, that was not even the beginning of it. I would try to find like glitches in the levels and I would like put down all of my 
remote mines and blow myself like out of the level limits just like for fun to like see where in the void my body landed just like stuff like that gotta hack the game yeah Yeah, i used to do that uh back in uh vanilla wow used to uh hack in glitch into unfinished zones and uh just see uh see like the original high jaw summit uh that they they eventually scrapped it was just like all weird shades and pixels but if you like jump through these right area you could like see levels yeah i got real into mmos too in like my middle school era there was this one called star wars galaxies that was pretty famous for being uh pretty poorly managed on the part of sony online entertainment but i was actually what they called a hollow grind jedi which was one of the like a hollow grind because you would because there were holocrons and they would tell you to master certain professions uh but there was a hidden profession that you would have to master uh, in order to become a Jedi. And you'd pretty much have to master every single uh, class and profession there was in order to become a Jedi back when it was really difficult. So not like that Anakin kid wins one pod race. I know, right? Gets to kill everyone there. Lucky bastard. Gets to kill every youngling after winning one pod race. That's the sequence that they left out of the episode three game that everyone wanted to play. Just killing a bunch of younglings. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if Rockstar made a Star Wars game, that would be extremely a part of it. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, Rockstar's <laughs> like, yo. So like, there's younglings on all sorts of planets, right? Like, <laughs> you're killing a lot of younglings. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, um, we've we've talked uh, a lot. You've mentioned a few times uh, some Zelda games uh, in your history in your past, and you've brought on a Zelda. A game for us today that I'm very excited about. But before we talk about it, I think we should hear a little bit of history about this game. Nintendo was riding high for their 25th anniversary, with the Nintendo Wii being their most successful console to date. Expecting to finish the Wii legacy with one last big Zelda game, Skyward Sword was released in 2001 for the Wii. Nintendo hoped to prove with Skyward Sword that they could show gamers that motion controls should be considered a contender in next-gen gaming. But that very same year, a game by a very similar name was released, not Skyward, Skyrim. Bethesda released Elder Scrolls Skyrim, which blew Skyward Sword out of the water and forever changed the RPG genre. Skyrim's massive open world and seemingly endless things to do dwarfed Skyward's small contained levels and lack of activities. Skyrim outsold Skyward 5 to 1, and even worse, Skyward became the second worst-selling 3D Zelda game of all time, and on Nintendo's best-selling console of all time. Something had to change. Over the next seven years, Nintendo began crafting their idea for their own Zelda open world, and in 2017, they released a game as the console launch title for the Nintendo Switch. The game was released to critical acclaim with many critics calling it a masterpiece and one of the greatest video games of all time. GameSpot called it the most impressive game Nintendo has ever made, writing that it takes designs and mechanics perfected in other games and reworks them for its own purposes to create something wholly new, but also something that still feels quintessentially like a Zelda game. It's both a return to form and a leap into uncharted territory. This week on Game Boys, we're reviewing a game I spent $400 to play. It's The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yeah, this is a very exciting one, I think. I'm excited to talk about it. This game fucking rules. Um, What made you choose this game of all games? What was the driving force behind BOTW? Well, I, I sort of fell off the gaming horse for a while, and some of the magic was lost a little bit for me. And I had an interesting relationship with this game because it took a few starts for me because it wasn't uh, as sort of uh, nurturing in the beginning as other Zelda games. It really throws you out there. But once once I was out there, it really reminded me of when I was a kid and video games used to be just so much bigger than you and they seemed impossibly limitless. And uh, it just sort of revived that childlike wonder that I had for video games pretty single-handedly. And... Totally. Um, it's that, it, is that, it is that sense of wonder that you only get from certain th- titles now, like every generation. Um, yeah, and Zelda definitely, like, you can tell that that was, like, a conscious concern of the people making the game. Like, they make the draw distances so long and so detailed, like, look at things far away and make everything feel like 
huge and epic. Right. And like, I totally agree with that. Like that was sort of my feeling. I played it too. was like, Oh, I, this is like, yeah, this is wonderful. Like I'm amazed by all this shit. Yeah. Just thinking like that first intro shot that everyone experiences of you leaving the cave and stepping out on that cliff and, and just that little, just like very subtle piano just kind of plays and the wind blows and you just see this entire, like a entire land in front of you and all these places that you want to go and see what's over there. Uh, it was that like sense of wonder that you've only, I've only gotten a few times. I think in video games because you know it wears down over time yeah and i haven't had that feeling it, it honestly reminded me of when obviously link's awakening is like a much smaller scale game because it came out in what the 90s and was for game boy color um or was the original version for normal game boy and that was just link's awakening deluxe i'm actually not a zelda expert yeah, well, I think it was, Link's I, Awakening was original Game Boy. So I think I played it on there, and I think there was a deluxe for color, but I'm not positive. But when I was like seven or eight, it just seemed like this impossibly big adventure, and I hadn't gotten a feeling like that from a video game since then. Um, and you know, Griffin's talking about that one sweeping shot of the landscape, and that's just not even a fraction of the places that you can go. Yep. That's just like basically the plateau and some mountains but the the game is just so huge and it just really makes you feel like you're link like uh, going on an adventure and it's totally up to you the lack of the lack of hand holding really grew on me yeah i agree it makes it feel like much more of an adventure of like discovery and testing your own limits and like what you can do and what the world has to offer like it also does a really great job of just like you're in a cave and like you could turn left to go one way and you turn the other way instead like not follow the path and you find some cool bonus or like weird zone or whatever like there's just so much stuff to discover and find and between that and like you're saying the lack of handholding it really does feel like you're just on an adventure out by yourself in this like big wide crazy world which is I don't know a pretty rare feeling because so many games like you have a perpetual like tutorial guide or like your heads up display or whatever that really kind of like takes you out of it but that game really does a great job just keeping you in that world all the time and it's not lazy about it either because it takes like a lot of fine-tuning and and good design because uh going back to trash fallout a little that's <laughs> sort of an example of how not to do make it, a in video my game opinion. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i think uh the sense of like this game was like clearly like this is our open world game and they basically take all of these open world concepts from all these games and like zeldify them and make them better like uh with these like shrines that are all like little mini dungeons spotted around the map like they make all these like collectible dots on the map like real experiences like real moments it, it doesn't feel like um in some ubisoft games like assassin's creed stuff like that where they're just like arbitrary kind of like nothing just like a million dots on the map everything here kind of felt like really meaningful things that you wanted to go and explore you every every moment that you would explore an area you'd be rewarded for it there's always a secret always something in every corner of the map yeah it's funny you bring up assassin's creed because the towers could have felt really lame like the towers that you need to i haven't mm. played assassin's creed in a while but i remember the towers were sort of They're like the, 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 the checkpoints <laughs> or whatever but i that was one of my favorite things to do was to climb and find the new towers and like overcome the weird little challenges associated with each tower um, yeah, speaking of climbing, you know, we should talk about one of the main features that makes this a different Zelda game and like a different game from a lot of games is like how them sticks feel like the physics of this game like are crazy. Yeah, uh, I really liked Link's ability to climb on everything and the fact that uh, the god that made him took all of his swimming ability and turned it into climbing ability because he cannot <laughs> swim for shit in this game. You're right. He is like an extreme, extreme sports person on land and then becomes just useless he's, in the water. He's a horse in the water. Like, he's just really not <laughs> He good is at like a horse swimming, yeah. And, and then that, all, like, that leads into one of the other like, sort of mechanical changes, like the stamina bar and the way stamina right. works in this game. It, it is a really great way to, like, the thing with open world games that's really important is like making everything feel worth it. And so giving you some like more stuff to invest in, more abilities to use and more stats to increase and all that gives it many different ways to give you sort of like an appealing it's worth it feeling. Um, like there's more reasons to do stuff because you need more stuff to do the bigger stuff you want to do, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and so the, the game does a really good job of like 
I mean, obviously, but like gamifying your experience and giving you rewards for like doing whatever in a way that motivates you to keep going because there's so many stats to boost. Like you actually have to make stat choices in this game in a way you never don't other and other Zelda games, for instance. Yeah, and it was very compelling. Like the shrine system was a very good one because the shrines are very creative and it's sort of astounding how many they have. Like I, I only I only found a little over half Maybe maybe like sixty to sixty five percent of the shrines, um, so there's a nice post game there. I I wish I wish the post game I wish there was a post game and it didn't restart you at the top of Ganon's castle. Uh, that's something I, I, I was gonna mention. Yeah, is is and this kind of will lead us I guess into talking a little bit about the story of this game. Is that like it's annoying that once you finish the game, you can't do the post game without it just seeming like you just didn't achieve anything because the smoke and the, the monster is still surrounding the castle. It sets you right before you've defeated Ganon. And you never really get to get the payoff of seeing like the kingdom restored or seeing the castle existing without right. without the monster. Uh, so it did feel like a little bit uh, um, kind of like a, a narratively abrupt in that sense. But then the DLC, which I don't know if you've played. I haven't. Uh, but the DLC explores like each one of the the main uh, characters, the, his, like those four dudes that you go and find, seek out his like, you know, four horsemen or whatever. Um, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, then I think like the DLC does put like a better bow on it at the end because like you get to hear the all these like individual stories about each one of those guys explore that a little bit and then like it ends the game of the dlc right back on that cliff you start the game on like puts you right back on that cliff like where you kind of began the game so it's it kind of does take you all the back to the beginning and like put a bow on it but i do feel like there is like something missing from the narrative how what do you guys yeah think? i mean i think you're right narratively but just like thinking about how that would work mechanically and like making that is so crazy you know, like having to recreate models of like the fixed versions of everything, and like remap them onto that world and like change all that stuff is like. I'm not saying the entire world, but I'm saying like the castle at least. Yeah, I mean, change, you know, even that's like, that's why I think it was done. This is why I think it was done in DLC, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I just think that like that adds a bunch of time to like the game production. Right. And like they probably should have just DLC for that. But like, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, I think they put out that DLC pretty quick because they knew that the way the game ends is not like. 100% satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and I think just like this game story is more ambient. It's more just like ex- experiential, like going place to place, which I think I like and it works, but I do always, I felt like with this game, I wanted a little bit more from the story. I really, the thing I really liked about this story was Zelda's character, actually. I, I did all the, um, I went back to all the memory locations. I'm proud to say I, I used the internet for only like two of them that were like absolutely impossible. There was one like near the Goran area where I, once I looked up where it was, I did not feel bad at all. When I reached it, I was like, there's no way that I would have found this on my own. Um, but, uh, all the, all the cutscenes that sort of introduce you to this weird neurotic version of Zelda that I, I was just really into that. Like this, this was the first Zelda game that to me felt like it was about Zelda. And I liked that about the story. Yeah, isn't she like it pitched in like an eternal like Gandalf-esque battle like in the castle like for a hundred years or something yeah. like that? Like like Super Saiyan force channeling against Ganon. Yeah. yeah, they do. She does present like a much more central figure than like either Lady in Trouble or like Rascally Princess. But st- yeah, and there, are, the and there are those memories you can being. seek out, but I still feel like people like, li- I mean, this is one of the first Zelda games to actually have like voiced cinematics, I think. But I still I still feel like in 2017 when this game came out, like I I feel like we're ready for like these characters to like have a little bit more story around them. Yeah, I mean, I think so. But I think that I think when you're making an open world game like this, you sort of have to choose where you're going to put your weight into like the open worldness or into the story element of it. Because we talked before about how games that are like really story driven but have an open world drive me crazy because like. I'm going to save the world from a dragon and some rando is like, my dog is gone. And like that (laughs) fucking ruins it for me. And so I think you're always going to have like that struggle to find that perfect balance of like narrativity and freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think this game airs more on the freedom side. You're right. Like it makes the story less, like less immediate and important. 
Yeah, and then so then it, but so then makes this finale ending a little abrupt, like with yeah, the boss. Yeah, totally. But, I think so. You know, but I think they, I think it works for the journey. But it's not a Zelda game if we don't talk about them dungeons, boys. Yeah, the dungeons are so good. The shrines, yeah, the big tower, the animal spirit guys. So the big thing about these dungeons is that each one you can control and shift to like to like move the the move the puzzles around to like mm-hmm. unlock stuff uh, which I don't know if it's ever been done before in a Zelda game I mean never like this like this is so much more directional control and like spatial yeah, control like, so like had. each one is like a giant animal and like you'll eventually gain control of parts of the giant machine that you're inside and you'll like move it and shift it to like access new areas which I thought was really cool I, I loved how they were all built to scale like they were all massive and every amount of space was used it wasn't like you walked in and and the screen would go black and then you'd be inside a building like you you could crawl on pretty much every part of the animal right every yes. every inside part of the yeah, animal was accounted realized. for mm-hmm. yeah it um it reminded me a lot especially the first one i went to reminded me a lot of that moment in the first god of war when you're wandering in the desert and you find the titan with a library on its back absolutely and you have to climb up into it and like that feeling of scale and hugeness and then, like, immediately after, you're like, you're like, oh, this is huge. And you get into the level. The level is huge and full of crazy shit. Right. Um, and, like, that feeling of excitement about, like, whoa, this is some other shit is such a rare thing in video games now. But, like, that, those dungeons in, in Zelda really get that across in a pretty powerful way. And also, shouts out to the librarian Titan. I think he was a little misunderstood. I think he gets lumped in with a bad crowd. <laughs> He's just crawling around with the building on his back. He's That's just well. trying to read and provide a public service. I hope it's he's not just trying the, to read because that'd be really <laughs> tragic if like he's trying to read but the library's on his back so he can't reach any of the books. Yeah, it's that Greek poetry torture. <laughs> yeah, that's some real like, <laughs> some real Oedipus type shit. Um, or I guess more Sisyphus in this case, but who cares? Euripides, but, that's uh, the but, point. Uh, but it is funny that you mention that because I often think of him when I think of scale in a video game. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. For me, that's like the defining scale. The library time is the scale. <laughs> Well, because it's like you've seen games with giant buildings and games with giant monsters, but a game with a giant monster that has a giant building on top of it is truly outrageous. Um, but to get back to Zelda, like that is like like you're saying, Michael, like that's the coolest thing about these Johns is that like they they're full, like they're fully developed, they're fully realized. There's a space to explore all over them, and they feel as big as they look, which a lot of games fail to accomplish. But this game like does at every turn, everything feels as big as it looks, and it's rewarding in that way. That is very cool. Yeah, I, I watched a development thing about this game, and the developers like laid out the map in like a series of like triangles, and like they would just put like bigger triangles on the map, and then like shorter triangles, and then if you would like stand and look, like it would be like they want the triangles of the map to be covering things. Or to represent buildings or towers or something like that, or like to peculiar your interest, to like make you want to go and find out or see what's on the other side of it. So like they like would like build all these interest. Like that's why like every like kind of like area is kind of you feel like you're drawn to it because you want to see like what's in there, what's going on in it. Uh, it's because of these triangles, man. Oh yeah, and I was I was desperate to explore. That was my favorite thing to do in this game was to get lost. I think one of my favorite mm-hmm. early memories of the game was getting just straight up lost in the desert where like the um bandits are and like the gerudo like the the hideout i just got lost in that region way before i had any business getting lost in that region and that was one of my best memories and then we talked about this but there's there's that challenge island in the lower right corner of the map and uh you're supposed to paraglide to it from a cliff but i learned that we both use the ice block power just painstakingly use the ice block power to Wait, cross the ocean to get to no, it no you did that i, I did paraglided that. you paraglided i paraglided you froze I, ice i froze for ice for <laughs> however crazy. long yeah it took me about half an hour but i was desperate to see what that island was about and i thought that was the only way to get there and, and you're like god like it'd be a lot easier to get to this if this cliff wasn't in my way yeah no i was i i went about that a very obtuse way um, but that's so that's part of, that's like a tribute back to the physics of this game that you can solve a problem a million different ways uh, like multiple people will just like for a day weeks after the game come out on reddit would show these weird combinations where it's like oh like you can freeze a rock with time hit it a bunch of times and like stand on it and now you're like sh- like the shooting across the landscape like on a rock a comet you know 
uh, like the physics allows you to just like really tackle problems in different ways. And there's uh, lots of puzzles outside the dungeons, like the one you just mentioned, like, how do I get to that? Oh, well, that's just like part of the environment, you know, like, let me just try and figure out what I can do here. Uh, and some people freeze an ocean to get yeah. to. Yeah. We've talked about this before that like games, I think well-designed games often provide multiple solutions to basically every puzzle. Right. And that's like what made this game so exciting is that like, there was like, for most of them, it was like, there's one easy way to do this and you can probably figure out 55 hard ways to do this. But for some of them, there's like multiple just good solutions. And like that, I think is a really appealing that like that speaks to really good overall game design, mechanical design. It speaks to the idiot in me that can't solve a puzzle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, there, there, are, uh, I looked at some speed runs of the game and there's some that are as short as like half an hour. Right. Cause like, you can just run right into the castle. You can run right into the castle and like the guys were doing the, thing where they would freeze rocks and just like fly naked on a rock right into Ganon's castle and just take them on immediately which was crazy it's kind of cool that you can do that if you really want to yeah it's dope that you can get a half hour speed run out of a game like that without having to like use some weird glitch technology like running backwards in Mario 64 to like fall through a weird portal or whatever yeah. that is yeah but yeah the, so the dungeons were great uh the artwork in this game is very very pretty oh it's uh, like one it's, of the most beautiful games i've ever played and i think it works really well on on the switch it's like this like nice kind of like cell shaded uh graphics is that how it's you describe like, it yeah, it's it's cell it's kind of like wind waker you like toned down a little bit more earthy yeah a little more earthy a little less like aggressive uh in the coloring and like the angles and stuff um, I think it's really great. It's like, yeah, it's a really nice cell shade, but it's a very different cell shade than you get in something like Borderlands, which is, I think, one of like the classic cell shaded games. Right. Yeah. Borderlands looks a little bit like cheaper in a way. It's a, it's not, not just cheaper, but like more, it's like hard lines and like comic sharp colors. It looks more comic booky. Yeah, yeah. More comic, yeah. More comic book is a good way to put it. This looks a little bit more like rounded out and like fully there. Yeah. So, and one, one last like topic that I, what always makes me think about this Breath of the Wild game is like, uh, the difficulty level at the beginning. I found it to be like pretty difficult, like in a good way. Like there was stuff I would run by that I couldn't beat at the beginning. Like I remember in the first area, even they drop one of those giant robot turrets, like, like into the ground in a certain area. Yeah. And like most people get killed by it, uh, because it's just like, can like one shot you. And it's like, oh, this is a big world with lots of stuff and you're really weak and it's like felt really good a lot of games don't handle you how like the pacing of how strong you get well and i thought this game did a really good job at like me feeling like pretty weak for a long time but then like eventually getting my my bearings and being able to take on one or two of the robots and come back for revenge on that robot that killed me in the first area well that's one place where (laughs) and i think we talked on this on this show before that like the Witcher 3 is probably my favorite like open world style game. Mm-hmm. And one place where I think that this game is better than The Witcher 3, to be honest, is like, is that, right? Like in The Witcher 3, one problem is like it's open world, but like you know that like the south part of Temeria near the farm is like pretty easy. And you know that like this air this battlefield is just like some ghouls and shit. And there's not as much of a sense that like you're just gonna run across something that could just kill you while you're weak. And so it doesn't give you the inspiration, to, like go back to places. Or, like, even be motivated. Like, that desire they're talking about, like, you're joking about it, but, like, that desire for revenge, like, going to a part and being like, oh, I can't beat this guy, I gotta get stronger and come back, is, like, a real motivating factor for me in video games. And that's not a big thing in the... Like, it happens from time to time in The Witcher, for sure. But it's not a regular occurrence in the same way it is with Breath of the Wild. And that, like, is what part of what makes Breath of the Wild feel so good and, like, keeps you being, like, I just gotta keep getting better because, like, I want to go back here because, like... I started there, but there was a robot. And who knows what's behind that robot? I don't know. It could be anything. I got to go back. Right, right. Like, I love that shit. And just, like, the amount of weapons you get at the end is so cool. Like, you can just be rocking, like, nine to ten crazy wild weapons yeah. that you'll be, like, pulling out at the end of this game. Uh, that took some getting used to. I That was that The durability was the huge, of stuff? Yeah. Weapons the, just breaking after a few times? Yeah, just, like, not being able to face enemies. Like, I'm so used to running around in Zelda just, like, banging my sword against everything to test it out. And here... You couldn't even, like, they would break so easily, but by the end you just had this, like, arsenal and obviously the Master Sword if you decided to go that route. Um, which I, I wasn't going to end a Zelda game without getting the Master Sword. I obviously yeah. made sure uh, that. Yeah, you have to. You have it would be, it. be really awkward if you brought Breath of the Wild in and did not get the Master Sword. Yeah. <laughs> that would actually be really uncomfortable. So thank God for that. Um, but uh, we'll get into our final thoughts right after this commercial break. 
Hey, have you ever uh, peed in a urinal and there's been no one next to you to have a nice conversation? All the time. I'm always peeing and I feel so alone. I've been talking to myself, and to be honest, that's a little weird. So instead, meet Peabody. That's right. His name is Dr. Peabody. Wow, that's amazing. What's he like? He's pretty basic, but he'll be there while you pee. He'll uh, add a few of his own stories, and <laughs> then uh, you guys will go your separate ways. Uh, you can call him. He's like a, it's like a rideshare type service um, and if you want to go get uh, a Dr. Peabody um, to, to talk to you while you pee um, he'll come to your house uh, he'll come to like a porta potty in a, like a concert venue that you're at um, uh, he'll come to like uh, the side of your car like late at night after the bar and like the line of the bar is too long those are and all my favorite places to pee yeah he'll come to all those places um, for $45 a minute wow I love my Dr. Peabody Buddy, I hope I can see him again soon, and I will. Download the Dr. Peabody app and put in the promo code GAMEBOYS to get um, uh, a, a slight discount. Hey there, Internet. Welcome back to the Game Boys this is, this is, this is podcast. I'm still Luck. Your host is still Griffin Davis, and your guest is still Michael Chabugas, and we are still talking Bre- Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, but it's time for us to rate that game, boys. So, Michael, here's how that works. We're going to go around in a circle, give this game our final thoughts, and a rating on a scale from one to five joysticks. Five being the best, one being terrible. Uh, and then we will move on to the next thing. But since you're the guest, you can go first. Give us your uh, final thoughts and a rating, please. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I chose this game for a reason. Uh, it really revived my love of video games. I don't have, like, any complaints about it. I think maybe my only one would be, like, I wish the Rito world was slightly bigger or something, but that's, like... Shots fired at Rito world. (laughs) Yeah, No, that's insanely nitpicky. Uh, I give this a big, fatty five joysticks. Oh, man. A five. Starting out with a five. Grip Daddy, what you got? Oh, boy. Okay, so... When this game was like announced and the Switch was announced, I was like, this sounds cool, but not going to buy it right away. But then I heard people start talking about it the days before, and it became so crazy. I was like, I, I have to get this game. People are saying it's incredible. So I went to uh, a bunch of places trying to try and get Nintendo Switch. They're all sold out. I was calling places for days in LA. They're all sold out everywhere. And then I found out on Twitter that one Toys R Us was going to get like 10 copies of the Nintendo Switch in to their store and I got it at like four in the morning at Toys R Us and it was worth it gentlemen it was a fantastic experience it was worth every penny even if not a single other good game came out for the Switch I think it was still worth the price it's one of the best games I've ever played guys and it is a five out of five joysticks for me (laughs) big time news my palms are sweaty but here, here it's very, I know it's very brave of me to give Breath of the Wild a five. <laughs> How could you be so courageous? Um, well, here's here's my thing. So you guys know, or at least Griffin certainly knows, and people who are listening also know that my thing with rating games is I don't think I can give a five out of five to a game when there's a better game trying to do the same thing as this game. Uh oh, tragedy is about to strike. I don't know. I think this is not trying to do the same thing as The Witcher, so I think it's safe from there. And honestly, I think the only other comparable game is Ocarina of Time. And I think this is better than Ocarina of Time. So I think I'm going to give this one a 5 out of 5, dudes. I think we got a full-on 5 out of 15 out of 15 over here. Oh, my God. And we've done it yet again. One of the only times we've gotten a 5 out of 5. Michael, shake my hand. Oh, my God. There's a parade. Oh, my God. They did it. Oh my god! A mayor just cut a rub, a cut a ribbon. Yeah, I don't a man, know what a man with big scissors just ran to Griffin's house and cut a big red ribbon and then ran out. Well, what are we opening? I guess we'll find out when the customers show up. Oh, this is really exciting, Michael. Thank you so much for bringing us a five out of five choices game. Oh, thank this you. is why we do the podcast. This is what we search for. This is what we seek out. We're seekers of these perfect games, and it's joining the list of Katamari Damacy and I think Halo Halo and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and Zelda Breath of the Wild and now Zelda Breath of the Wild this is definitely the most modern five joystick game right I think most recent yeah yeah 
Mm-hmm. It's just like most like contemporary, like it's just like so much more contemporary than the other ones. The other ones are all such like kind of older yeah. uh, ideas. Anyways, that wraps up the review segment. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, entirely out of segments. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the segment segment, the segment where Griffin and I run out different segments to play games with our guests. Griffin, do you have a segment this week? You know I do. Now, I've had Pokemon on the brain, so we're going to play an audio version of a segment you may know from your childhood. That's right, it's Who's That Pokemon? Pokemon? <laughs> um, okay, guys, um, now each of you have one single guess to guess what Pokemon this is based on this sound the Pokemon makes. Oh man. Don't and I'll, and I'll and I'll give you some 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 headliners on this one. It's the original 150 baby, first generation. You don't don't think I'm fucking around on this, okay? All right. Okay, I think I I think okay. okay. I think. All right, now I, I know you guys. You guys might each have a guess, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Luck seems pretty confident. Michael doesn't seem as confident, but I think uh, Lux is just has a has a confident trivia face. I think Michael has an earnest trivia face. <laughs> um. All right. My guess. Hitmonlee. And Michael's guess. If he's going Hitmonlee, I'm gonna go Hitmonchan. Wow. Neither of you are right, gentlemen. It is the popular character. Star you. Oh, that's yeah. right. Wait, really? Play that one more time. Run that back. Yeah, that's right. Time. He that's had a right. weird. He man's has a voice. very weird voice. And whoa, yeah, I remember this. Okay, and now Starmie. You see, I could have gotten Starmie. Starmie makes Starmie's. sense to me. Now, uh, guys, I knew you were going to say one of the melee fighting Pokemon. That's why I did this game. Most of the Pokemon say their name, like <laughs> Schmucks. Star you hides in plain sight. Yeah, this is well, true. We all learned a really valuable lesson from this <laughs> I segment. I was worried it was going to be those those battle cries from the original Red and Blue that sound like people dropping silverware down the garbage disposal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was yeah. not going to have any idea. Oh, the, oh, yeah, those those are those are tough. Yeah. It would have been funny if you just played, like, Goldie! <laughs> like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, were, there was one that was, like, uh, Parasect that... Barely sounded like Parasect that I thought about doing, but I don't know. Well, this was a good one. Now we're moving on to everyone's favorite segment about whether or not people commit analingus. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's a time, another episode of Do They Yes, everyone's favorite game where you guys, through competitive competition or cooperative conversation, decide whether one of th- which of three characters that I select do or do not eat ass. This episode, obviously, we're talking about Zelda, so it's doing the big three of Zelda. We're going to hit Zelda, Link, and Ganondorf. We'll start, as always, in alphabetical order with Ganondorf. Does Ganondorf eat ass? Hard no. I think he gets his ass eaten a lot, hmm. but uh, definitely who? just the his fellow Gerudo. Okay. Just, like, serve him. But I don't think he's ever eaten an ass. I don't think he's ever looked an ass in the in the brown eye before. Yeah. Um, here's, here's a question, though. He turns into a big pig. Pigs are known to love to dig and get in that mess. Thoughts? Questions, comments mm. on that <laughs> issue. Well, he, I, you, you turned me, you flipped me. Yes, it's a hard guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he. I don't think he. Re, I don't think he remembers it though when he goes back into Ganondorf when he's. That's like, definitely his werewolf mode. You think yeah. like Big Pig is like a fully separate psychology? I think Big Pig is trapped inside Ganondorf and wants to get out. He wants to eat ass. Oh, so he can't eat ass if because if he would, he'd be giving into the urges of the Big Pig inside. I think every time Ganondorf looks in the mirror, he sees a Big Pig and tells him to eat ass. And he's like, I can't do it. I can't let you win. Okay, and I buy that. That makes sense to me. Co- a complicated yes. All right. <laughs> like a, a, yeah, a complicated something. Um, all right, next is Link. Does Link eat ass? I I think he does. I think he's a loyal knight. I think he'll do anything for his princess. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think he takes it to the limit every time. I think, it's, I think it's simple. I think it's simple. Now, Zelda. Does Zelda eat ass? Okay, so are we talking Twilight Princess Zelda? I mean, sorry, 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 sorry. I mean, Breath of the Wild Zelda. Let's do Breath of the Wild Zelda. Breath of the Wild Zelda. Breath of the Wild Zelda. Definitely. Breath of the Wild Zelda is a sorcerer. I think she does it out of nowhere and then gets real into it. Oh, like, like she, she'll like, surprise you with it and then not stop. Just like on like like the, like the fifth time that y'all like, like she's fucking a, a partner, she'll like or bust like out even the second time she'll bust it Which out. Is like once they're comfortable and they think they know what's coming, she busts it out and they're like, oh yeah, 
Yeah, Link will okay. make one of those. Link will make one of those stock sounds that he makes. Yeah. You know, I feel like <laughs> in a lot of other Zelda games. <laughs> Sorry, other that was Zelda me impersonating what Link orgasming sounds like. <laughs> in a lot of other Zelda games, you know. Zelda is like a princess in like a weak way. Like she's like in her, she's like, even when she's like in her castle, she's like, I'm just a sad princess or whatever. Uh, but in this game, you like, you, she's like run shit. You see in cutscenes like people attending to her and she's making decisions and she's like the ruler. And, uh, and yeah, I think she's very high status and I think she gets it, girl. Yeah, she's, she's got her little lab and she's definitely into some, this, this Zelda is definitely into some weird subreddits. For sure. yeah, no she, doubt. No doubt. I mean, if you've waited a hundred years for Link, she's going to be on some weird subreddits. Speaking of subreddits, which you can find on the internet, Michael, where can people find more about you on the internet if they want to get more? Which they should, because you've been a great guest. Oh, thank you. Uh, I've got the beginnings of social media presences. I just started an Instagram and a Twitter. Wow! Wow! And I wish you well on your journey. Thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, I go by Mickey Chubukas on those. Uh, that's sort of my stage name because i do voice acting and comedy and whatnot uh yeah. so look seems out like, for yeah, that it seems like to... mickey is way more hireable for vo yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of something i don't know whatever yeah <laughs> who knows i'll unpack that later but yeah keep an eye out for more of a presence there uh it is coming all right so that means <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's a fucking cross plat- yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a weird threat um, but that means making Chibukas across all, across all platforms. Griffin, what are your platforms? Guys, there's only one platform I want to talk about tonight, and it is Game Boys Pod on Instagram because there's been a stone thrown in the pond, and it's going to cause a ripple effect that will change podcasts forever. <laughs> We've opened up the DMs for Game Boys Pod. That's right fellow listeners and fans we want you to dm the game boys pod with a question that we will read on the next episode of game boys please dm it and whatever it is we will have to read it there is no screening and no censoring we will read it on the podcast excellent promise to make without consulting me Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that sounds great. It'll be cool to hear from also, you guys. Also, I've been looked at, we have like five star reviews on iTunes, which is nice. You got a couple of reviews um, that I'm going to read on podcast right now. Like I said, I would a long time ago. Read, read one. We have to save these. Um, okay. Filmaholic33 says, I'm a huge gamer. I listen to this podcast. It's great. Thanks, Filmaholic333. Uh, I appreciate it. Yes, you'll, you'll join us in the halls of Valhalla. Um, yeah, I believe it. Also, yeah, I'll start with that one. We'll get to more later. But we have a bunch, and it would be great to get more. And if you write a review, I'll read it on the show almost for sure now because I'll remember to do it because now I'm embarrassed that I forgot to this time. Um, and I learned through shame. Shame so, yeah. fuels us, baby. Yeah, so please uh, leave a five-star review on iTunes, uh, and we'll read it on the show, and that'll be great. Uh, last thing is that this is the last week. If you want to do PWR Indiegogo shit to look up the Indiegogo, look us up on Facebook and see if you want a cool T-shirt or sweater or some bullshit like that or a bag of sand for some reason. Um, but that's what we're selling because we're dumb and bad at what we do. Um, anyways, uh, out of all those things, the bag of sand probably is the one I'd get. Yeah, well, you're also dumb and bad at what you do. That's why we have a podcast together. <laughs> um, just kidding. Griffin's good at what he does, also, but still dumb. Sandbags are useful. It's less a sandbag than just like a big plastic bag full of sand. Like it doesn't have like a bed oh, okay. to it. It's like just for it's like for dumping out. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's actually part of my, like, sounds like part of my rich bourgeois lifestyle. Yeah, I know you love... shit just to pour it out. I know, you love dumping sand. Um, anyways, <laughs> that's enough of a really weird tangent. That's been another episode of the Game Boys Podcast. My name is Lux, I'm your host. Your co-host is Griffin Davis, your guest is Michael Chabukas, your editor is Haley Clement, your intro and outro music is Matthew Morton, and your artist by Brittany Metz. Thank you, Internet, we love you very much. Legend of Zelda. Breath of the Wild. <sighs> that was a really good one. <laughs>